All right. Romans chapter 15 tonight. And you know what? While you're turning to Romans 15, go ahead and mark Ephesians chapter 4 as well, because we're going to be turning there real quickly after we get started tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 15. Last week we were talking about the importance of keeping our focus on the major issues within the church and and the major issues that are the heart of God rather than majoring on minor things and allowing the minor issues to come between brothers and sisters in Christ and to divide the true body of Christ. And tonight, when we come into Romans chapter 15, he gives us in these first few verses two of the goals that the church should be focused on and so that we don't get caught up on these minor issues that we're primarily focusing and and energizing ourselves on these two things. The first one is found in in the first couple of verses of Romans 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. One of the goals that Christians should be focused on is building each other up. That's part of why God wants to bring the church together to bring Christians together, to not have us isolated out there by ourselves. He wants us to come together in order that we build each other up instead of tearing each other down. And we saw last week where a lot of times in the church at Rome, and obviously we know of other instances where where churches can be a place where Christians are tearing each other down rather than building each other up. We need to focus on building each other up, and even ask ourselves the question, what does that mean to build each other up? And how, God, can you use my life, my Christian walk, to build each other up? Uh, One way is just encouraging each other, and we're going to talk about that tonight as well. But there's many different ways. I, I hate to even go into the practical application because it can be as broad as every person here. But I think as long as our heart is centered on, God, I want you to use me to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ within the body of of Christ, that God will direct us and show us what are the ways we can do that, even on an everyday basis. Because if we're too rigid, we we won't see maybe the person or the, the, the situation that God wants to thrust us into in which we could build someone else up. Instead of tearing them down. So with that in mind, just that first goal, keep your finger in Romans 15 and go over here to the book of Ephesians. Where this whole idea is really even expanded in the book of Ephesians, a book that we're going to be studying next semester in depth in the mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11. And what I want you to see as I read down through this passage is the repetition of how often Paul says the church should be a place of growth, of growing maturity, uh, 
of building each other up. That's what the church should be all about. That, that as people come to know Christ through the ministry of the church, that then we capture them, we bring them into this place, and then we begin to build them and mature them. And the building and maturing of, of the saints of God is not just pastor's responsibility. It's every Christian's responsibility. Because obviously... You guys are going to touch people's lives that I'll never even know, and and vice versa. So God wants every one of His children within the body of Christ to be focused on building one another up and asking God, God, who, who are the Christians that you want me to build up? And then hopefully it goes both ways, that God is bringing Christians into your life to build you up. Because as I've always said, I know I'm sort of getting off here, but I just feel this is important, that to live a balanced Christian life... Every Christian needs a Paul in their life. Somebody who's building into your life. Somebody who's your spiritual mentor, your spiritual coach, if you will. However you want to call that. Everyone needs a Paul. Then you also need a Barnabas in your life. Somebody who I say is sort of like your spiritual equal. Somebody that you're sort of on the same plane spiritually. You've known the Lord about the same amount of time. You're you're there together and you're walking together mutually encouraging each other. And then every Christian needs a Timothy. Eventually, you need somebody that you're building into their life. You're, you're their spiritual mentor. You're encouraging them because you're a little bit further along in your walk with God than they are. And, and it doesn't need to be the same person that fills those roles throughout our life. In fact, in my life, it's been many different Pauls, many different Barnabases, many different Timothys. But in order to live a well-rounded, balanced life, it's good to have a Paul in your life, a Barnabas in your life, and a Timothy in your life at all times. So just as, as we go through this passage, think about that. And here's what I hear from most Christians. Most Christians come back and say, I have a Barnabas. I can even find a Timothy. The hard one for me is to find a Paul, somebody in my life that is... And, and, and what I come back with is pray. Ask God. If God knows that your heart is to have a spiritual mentor, a Paul in your life, somebody to come into your life and build into your life spiritually who's a little bit further along, and he knows that's the desire of your heart, and you begin to specifically pray for God to bring a Paul into your life, I'm just dumb enough to believe God that he's going to bring a Paul into your life. He's going to answer that prayer because I believe that's God's will that every Christian have a Paul in their life. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Notice again this passage of Scripture. Paul says, It was He, Christ, who gave some as apostles, as their role was apostles in the church. Some had the role of prophets. Some have the role of evangelists. And some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is, notice, to build up the body of Christ. That's actually even the purpose for pastors and teachers. That we should be building up the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can build each other up. Verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice, a mature person. A mature Christian. Again, the Bible is never satisfied to say, hey, it's okay that you accept Christ and just stay at that level. No, the Bible says the purpose of the church is to be a place where I as a Christian can come and I can be built up. I can grow. I can mature. So, verse 14, that we are no longer to be children in the faith, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching. 
by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. In other words, if I stay a baby Christian, I'm going to get deceived. I'm going to get fooled because I'm not grounded in my faith. So, so when I become a Christian, I need to make, I need to make it the goal of my you know, heart that I get into a church, that I get into Bible studies, that I begin to grow so that I don't stay a child, spiritually speaking, so that I grow up in my faith, so that I mature in my faith. Verse 15, by practicing the truth in love, we, the church, will in all things, notice again, grow up into Christ who is the head. See how many times he uses words like grow, mature, build up, edify. These are the focus. This is what the focus is to be. Along with reaching people for Christ and evangelizing, then when they come into the church, the church is to be a place where we grow, where we learn, where we mature, where we build each other up. Verse 16, from him, Christ, the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does its part, the body grows in love. Over and over again in that passage, grow, grow, grow. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. You know, to me, it's just very clear that the Bible teaches that after I become a Christian, then I need to set myself on a path of growth. I I need to, to do something to begin to grow as a Christian, to mature, and not to stay at the level that I find myself at when I become a Christian. In fact, for a lot of Christians, they will even tell you that one of the reasons why they struggled for so many years as a Christian was because after they became a Christian, they weren't grounded. They, they didn't, they weren't in a church or they weren't in an environment where they could grow. So a lot of times they became a Christian, but then they went off and, and they got caught up in all these things that if they would have just had somebody or a church come alongside of them and provide opportunities for them to grow and learn and study and be built up, a lot of that would have been preventable. And that's why I, I love what I'm able to do here and what what the heart of Pastor Lynn and Cornerstone is, we want to provide those who come to Christ the opportunity to grow and to be built up. And the mine is just one of many opportunities across this church campus to be able to grow and to be built up. So that's the first goal, okay? I think I've hammered that enough. Let's go back to Romans 15. Here's the next one. And you sort of, it was hinted at even in the process of growth in Ephesians. The next one is that we maintain the unity that God gave us. And that's why last week we saw, let's not get nitpicky and begin to criticize each other and get our eyes off of what's really important. Let's not become divisive. Let's realize that God has given us the unity and let's maintain that unity and let's strive to maintain the peace within the body of Christ. And here's what Paul says then in verse 5 of Romans 15. Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. In other words, he's reminding us if we truly are part of the body of Christ, which is one of the metaphors for the church, then Jesus doesn't take too kindly to having his body dislocated from each other. He doesn't want his arm over here and his leg over here 
if we are the body of Christ, then the body of Christ should be unified. And, and when Christians begin to, to divide and, and become divisive and these schisms and things come into the body of Christ, then literally the body of Christ is over here and over there and whatever. And it doesn't give people a true picture of Christ. Because Christ doesn't contradict Himself. Therefore, those of us in Christ should not be contradicting each other either. So that, verse 6, together you as the church may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two goals that Paul says the church at Rome and every church after it should be focused on. One, building each other up, growing, maturing in the faith. How can I be a part of that? And two, help me, Lord, to be a Christian within the body of Christ that is a peacemaker, somebody who helps maintain the unity, somebody who's not divisive, somebody that doesn't stir up things all the time and cause the body to divide amongst each other. Because I realize, God, how important it is to you and how precious it is to you that your children can with one voice glorify God. God takes great pleasure in being able to look down from heaven and see all of His children being able to come together in unity and truly lifting up one voice with one mind, with one heart, and unifying themselves behind certain goals. And not, again, one group in the church working in this direction, another group in the church working against them in this direction. But God is saying, guys... How much more powerful would it be if we all come together and we all focus on these similar goals? How much more could we get done? How much more powerful of a concentrated witness would we be if we just keep these things in mind? So those are the two goals. Now Paul begins to talk in Romans 15 as we go back to verse 1 about the help that God will give us to achieve those goals. Those are lofty goals. But God in Romans 15 through Paul is going to give us the help that we need to achieve those goals. The first help, we have the greatest example. We have the greatest pattern, if you will, to look at. Christ himself while he was here on earth. Notice again, going back up to the first couple of verses. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but just as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In order to build us up, Christ's life wasn't about pleasing himself. Because if it was about self, he would have said, I'm staying in heaven. I'm not going to take on a human body and go down there and let them slap me and, and kick me and torture me and crucify me and pull my beard out and, and, and you know, nail me to a cross and insult me and all those things. Christ would have stayed in heaven. And sometimes what the Bible is saying here is that sometimes in order to build up others, I've got to make personal sacrifices. It, it can't always be convenient. It, it can't always be fitting into me, sometimes, sometimes God is going to say, you're going to have to sacrifice yourself in order for me to use your life to build up others. And Christ is the greatest example of that. Again, it's not every day God's going to ask us to do that, but we should be ready 
because Jesus even said of all those who choose to follow him that we should be willing to take up our cross daily and follow him. And that picture is just a picture of me dying to self every day and saying, God, you may not ask me to die to self today in some practical way, but, but I'm going to be ready to die to self. I'm going to pick up that cross and I'm going to follow you. Because again, sometimes in order to be someone in somebody else's life, to build them up, to help them grow, to help them mature, that means I might have to make a personal sacrifice. And I should be willing to do that because Christ was willing to do that. And Christ's sacrifice was much greater than mine ever will be. And Christ never asked any of those who follow him to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. He was willing to leave the glories of heaven. He was willing to leave the adoration of the angels. He was willing to take upon himself a human body. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to go through all, the, all of that. And the Bible says, so Christ is our example. He's always that perfect pattern that we have before us that, that, that we can follow in order to know what it means to build others up and the sacrifice every once in a while it might take in order to do that. In fact, up in verse 7 of Romans 15, notice he even says again, Receive one another, accept one another then, just as Christ also received you to God's glory. Don't get caught up on these secondary issues that are dividing you, but receive and accept each other because that's what Christ has done. And Christ has accepted all those within his body. And so he's saying, shouldn't we work to accept and receive our brothers and sisters in Christ as well, just as Christ did? So Christ, as an example and as a pattern, is the first help that Paul says God gives us in order to carry out the goals of building each other up and maintaining unity in the body of Christ. The second help is the Bible, the Scriptures. Notice in verse 4, For everything that was written in former times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures we may have hope. Notice there's four things that the Bible does. It instructs us, it gives us endurance, it gives us encouragement, it gives us hope. I always tell folks, you don't need to ever read or study the Bible if you know everything you need to know, if you never feel like giving up or throwing in the towel, if you never need another word of encouragement, and hope is not an issue with you. If that's true, then yeah, don't pick up your Bible. But if any or all of those are something that's needed in my life and I recognize it, then the Bible is my help. First of all, Paul says the Bible instructs us. It gives us the, the wisdom, the knowledge, the skill in living life so that we know how to build each other up and what that looks like the further on we go in our study. So that we know about the unity and how important unity is to God and the body of Christ and all of that. And on and on we can go. It instructs us about everything that we need to know as a Christian to bring glory to God. It instructs us. I'm just going to say this. God teaches me every day. It doesn't matter how long you've studied the Bible. God always has new things to teach us if we're, if we're teachable. If we're open to being taught, God will teach us through His Word. The Bible is an unbelievable help. The psalmist says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So many people today say, 
I want to know where, to, where am I going in life and how do I get there and whatever. The Bible. The Bible is for instruction. The Bible will be your lamp. The Bible will be the light you need to light the path so that you clearly know why you're here, what you should be doing, where you should be going. It gives us all those answers. If we truly want to know, God will open them up to us through His Word and through us taking the time and the energy to study His Word. Then endurance. How many of us in our life have felt like giving up, throwing in the towel, getting to the end of ourselves and saying, I can't go on? Through the Bible, the Bible gives us perseverance, endurance, staying power, call it whatever you like. The Bible gives us that. That just by opening it up and saturating our minds with the Word of God, the Bible is not any ordinary book. The Bible is a supernatural book with supernatural power, and the Bible can give human beings endurance to just hang in there and keep on keeping on. And the Bible gives us encouragement through encouragement of the Scriptures. I have never met any human being who told me, Jeff, I don't need any more encouragement. Uh, I have enough encouragement to last me for the rest of my life. So don't you or anybody else try to encourage me. My, you know, encouragement's full. I've never met anybody like that. Any human being I'm ever, any Christian I've ever met is always welcoming encouragement. We don't get enough encouragement. And one of the places that we can look for encouragement, and maybe should so more, because a lot of times we may be looking for encouragement amongst human beings, and, and, and we're not going to encourage each other as much as we should, but we can always look to the God of encouragement and to the Word of encouragement for encouragement when we need it. Story after story, we could all probably tell about those who even maybe were ready to end their life. I remember a gentleman telling me one time he went into a motel and he was ready to take his life. And, of course, you know, a lot of the motels, the Gideon Bible was there and he opened it up. And for whatever reason, before he pulled the trigger, he just took out the Bible and he began to read it. And by the time the night was done, he put the gun down and he just kept reading his Bible. And he walked out of that motel room and left the gun behind and told them, that's where it was. You just get rid of it. You dispose of it. I'm, I'm moving on. That, that through... Him even reading some passages of Scripture, it helped encourage him and get him to a point where here was a a man that was ready to take his life and God was able to use his supernatural, powerful word to turn his heart and turn him around. And I've heard story after story of that through my ministry. That's what the Word of God can do. You want encouraged tonight? Go to the Word of God. That's what I want Tuesday night to be. You folks take the time to come here on Tuesday night. I want the Word of God to encourage you, lift your hearts, and encourage your spirits. And then notice, so that we may have hope. We live in a hopeless world, in a hopeless society. And the reason I know that is because you look into people's eyes and you can see the hopelessness there, in their eyes. And for those of us who have hope because we have a relationship with God and we know the God of hope and we have the Word of hope, We need to share that hope. And again, let me just remind you that the biblical definition of hope is different than the way we use hope in the English language. The way we use hope in the English language is a wish. I hope this turns out. You're not sure, but it's a wish. The Bible doesn't use hope that way. The Bible definition of hope is confident expectation. And the reason I can be so confidently expecting something is because it's based on the Word of God and not anything else. And God's Word is faithful. 
If Jesus says, I'm returning, then I'm confident. I have hope in the return of Christ that he's coming again and going to get me someday because he said he would, and I believe he doesn't lie. So my hope is based upon the word of God, and that's why I can have hope. That's why I can have hope that this world is not going to be all there is, but there is something much greater out there. And so I can cling to verses like Romans 8.18, where Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in me someday. I have hope, you see, because it's based not upon my word or anybody else's word or opinion. It's based upon the sure word of God, and God cannot lie. And the word of God gives us hope. And we need hope. We need to have that stability and that confident expectation in our life in a world that is constantly changing, in a world that lacks stability and security, and where God is saying the only stability and security you and I will really ever have in our life is when we connect ourselves with Him. Hebrews 6.19 says we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, a very vivid picture, especially in that culture in biblical times, because, you know, a lot of them were seamen, and they understood, they saw those anchors go down and embed into the, to the uh, sea floor and anchor that ship so that even when the storms came up, the ship stayed where it was. And the Bible says our hope as Christians is the anchor of our soul. It is what takes us down and connects us to the very heart of God and to the very word of God so that no matter what happens in my life, I've got an anchor. And it's the hope that I have through the word of God. Another help God gives us is that he is the God of all resource. That if I look to Christ as my example and pattern, and I look to the Word of God, and then I look to himself as being my resource. You know, a lot of times, even as Christians, it's almost like we try to figure things out and handle things, and then if I can't figure it out or anybody else can, then I go to God. I, I think one of the things God's trying to teach me through my life is, why don't you come to me first? might save yourself a lot of pain, because I'm the God of all resource. And notice what he calls himself here. Verse 5. Notice, I love this. Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. He is the God. Not only does his word give endurance, but he's the God of endurance. And anytime we need endurance and perseverance and just to hang in there a little bit more, we can go to the God who has an unending supply of endurance. I love that passage in Isaiah 40. The passage that talks about that anybody and everybody gets weary, but our God is a God that renews our strength so that we can mount up with wings like eagles, so that we can run and not get weary, so that we can walk and we can keep on going in our life. The historical context of that passage that we use is powerful because those Jews were in exile for many, many years. And God gave them the hope that you're going back to your homeland. And some of them were saying, we can't make it back to our homeland. It's too far. And even once we get there, we don't feel like starting all over again. And it's too hard. It's going to be too difficult. That's the historical context of that passage in Isaiah where he says, oh, you're going to mount it with wings like eagles. You're going to run and not get weary. I'm going to give you the supernatural strength to be able to get back after exile and to begin to start all over again in the land in which I have promised you. And if God can do that to the nation of Israel, God can do that for us as well. Notice also, he's the God of comfort. If you need comforted today, 
If you need encouraged today, and I love that word. The word is literally in the Greek, one who comes alongside to strengthen. Remember Elijah in the Old Testament? He had this great Mount Carmel experience. He called down fire from heaven. It consumed the the false altars of Baal. And he won this great victory. And soon after a great victory, sometimes we're very susceptible to a, a, a big low. And Elijah goes out and basically falls into this great depression. He doesn't even want to come out of the cave. He doesn't even want to eat. He just wants to die. He says, God, just kill me. Just, I, I, don't even, I don't even want to die. I, I don't even want to go on. Just kill me. And God begins to feed him a little bit. And God begins to remind him of his word and of his promises. And of the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, there are many thousand people back in Israel who've not given in to idolatry. Elijah, let's, let's go back. Let's get going. And he encouraged. He came alongside of Elijah. And God will come alongside of you and me when we need encouraged. Through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. The one who comes alongside of us. And not only in a sense does he come alongside of us, but because he's the Holy Spirit, he actually lives within us. And he's there available to comfort and encourage us throughout the day. So that if I don't have my Bible hand here, I don't even know a verse off the top of my head that can encourage me. I've got the personal Holy Spirit of God who comes alongside and comforts me and encourages me. And here's the cool thing. That's never an end in itself. Whatever ministry God does in and through us, God wants us to pass that along to others to build them up. You see, whatever God does in my life, it doesn't end with me ever. God wants me then to take the ministry that he's given to me in order to encourage somebody else. Let me remind you guys of this. Keep your finger there in Romans 15 and go over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians. That's why, one of the reasons why I said what I said Sunday about nothing's ever wasted in our life. Because whatever God has done in your life, God's going to then bring in people into your life that you can encourage by the encouragement and comfort and knowledge and instruction that God gave you through a difficult time. And God will do it. It was amazing to me after I came out about being having so many years of struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and all that, and how God delivered me from, me from that, and, and how I wanted God to use my life to encourage others who struggle in that area of anxiety and stress and panic attacks and all that, I could not believe how many people God began to bring into my life that I could pass along And that's all it was. It wasn't me. I was just passing along what God had done in my life to encourage them. And and they needed at that point, like I needed, somebody to sit across from them, look them in the eyeball and go, there's hope. You don't have to live like this. There is hope. God can help you over. Because I had gotten so low with that. Just like we all can get low and discouraged and depressed and defeated by whatever it is that we feel like I'm going to struggle with this thing for the rest of my life. And we need another Christian, sometimes flesh and blood, that God can bring into our life and use in our life to sit across from us and go, here's what God did in my life. And if God did that in my life, God can do it in your life as well. That's how we build each other up. That's just one of the ways we encourage each other. And with this specific thing about comfort, notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. 
I don't care what scale of comfort you need, God will match it. If you're going through a time in your life where on a scale of 1 to 10, you need a comfort of 9, then God will, God will give you that, that comfort. Because God is an unending resource of comfort, and he, he will match the comfort to whatever you and I are going through. But notice, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Pass it along. God encouraged me. God built me up. God used other Christians to help me and bring me on my way. And now God wants me to do the same thing to others. And then guess what? God's going to use them to do the same thing to others. And it just keeps branching out and branching out and branching out. It never ends. And that's how we can focus on building each other up. Because some Christians are like, well, I don't know how to build up other Christians. And I say, all you have to do is pass along what God's done in your life. Because God's going to bring into your life people who are either struggling with the same thing that you have struggled with or who are struggling with the same thing that you are struggling with. And you're going to be able to be an encouragement to them just by sharing your personal testimony of what God is bringing you through or what God has brought you through. I always go back to my parents as a great example of that after losing my brother and sister at the age of four and three to disease. And how God used them and the community in which we lived to bring comfort to other parents who'd lost children. They were just, they weren't anything special. They, they would tell you that. But we were just passing on to other parents what God did in our life to help minister to them. So, so it's not like you have to look outside of yourself. It's not like you have to, or I have to become something that I'm not. I just allow God to take me through the experiences and the situations and the struggles that I've went through, see his power to deliver, which is all we've been talking about in the book of Romans, work in my life, and then pass that encouragement and that hope on to others. Because notice verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow toward us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows to you. And if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Wow. Paul is saying, I'm getting it now, God. That, that, that even if I'm afflicted or I suffer, I realize it's so purposeful. Because you're not only going to use it in my life to impact me and to strengthen me, but you're going to use it to help me minister to others in a more effective way. And that makes everything that we go through have such value rather than, what in the world am I going through this for? If we are comforted, it is for your comfort that you experience in your patient endurance of the same sufferings that we also suffer. And our hope for you is steadfast, verse 7, because we know that as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. Wow. So whatever God's doing in your life, whatever he's done in your life, be willing to pass it on. I encourage Christians all the time, share your struggles, share your scars. It's a powerful thing that God can use to encourage other Christians. Because, you know, I know in my life, you get to that point where you're so discouraged that just knowing that somebody else is struggling with what you're struggling with or has is an encouragement, even if you still don't know how to get out of it. It's almost like, 
okay, because you, you begin to feel like it's me. And, and I'm the only one that's ever experienced this, or I'm the only one struggling with this, and, 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 and it must be me. And, and, and Satan wants to get us to that point and wants to isolate us. And that's part of the reason why God brought the body of Christ together so that we could gather around and mutually encourage each other. Back to Romans 15. I've got to get these in tonight. What time is it? I'm just rattling on here. Okay, we'll stop here in just a moment. Verse 13. So God is the God of endurance and comfort. Notice also, not only does His Word give us hope, but verse 13. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Romans 15, 13. God is the God of hope. You need hope? Go to God. He is the God of unending hope. But notice, there's a condition here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How many people do not want to be filled with joy and peace? In fact, this time of year, Christmas time, we sing about, you know, joy and peace and, you know, glad tidings and all that cool stuff. And we almost try to manufacture it because it's Christmas, right? We, we should be full of joy and peace, right? But that joy and peace doesn't just come because it's Christmas. It doesn't just come because of some season of the year. Here's how it comes. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you continue to believe in Him. And the reason I added the word continue is in the Greek language, it's in the present. It means a continuous thing. It's not just, well, I believed 30 years ago. How come it's not taking effect now? No, God says, you you got to believe in me today. You've got to trust me today, just as much as you did when you became a Christian. It's not to become a Christian, but since I am a Christian, God says, you've got to continue to trust me. And if you and I continue to put our trust and faith in God, then we will be filled with joy and peace because joy and peace is the byproduct of faith and belief in God. That's why there's a lot of Christians who have no joy and peace in their life. That's why in Jeff Royce's life for several years, even as a Christian, I had no joy and peace. Why? Because at that moment in my life, I wasn't trusting in God. It's conditional. God says, you want to be filled with joy and peace and you want me, the God of hope, to fill you with that joy and peace? Trust me. Believe in me. And and there's always a tension and a struggle there, almost on a daily basis for the Christian. That there is something every day that comes into our life that God says, trust me. And we either have to trust Him or we have to take it ourselves because we want to try to be in control and, and manage this thing and work it out ourselves. And God says, no, just trust me. And if you trust me, then you'll be filled with joy and peace because you're going to rest in me and in my sovereignty And in what I'm going to do, and going back to Sunday's message, you have the faith to know that God can and will do something through this. And so you're going to be filled with joy and peace rather than that angst and anxiety and all that other stuff that I'm so familiar with in my life. Because as I said, I spent several years as a Christian not trusting God. So that's important. Because a lot of Christians are like, Well, I'm a Christian. How comes I don't have any joy and peace? Are you trusting God? Are you believing in Him? 
Or is your faith lacking? And God wants us to trust Him, even as Christians. Throughout our life, He's going to bring things into our life and and things are just going to happen and He's going to say, okay, you trusted me for your eternal soul. You trusted me to save you. Are you going to trust me with this? And here's one of the things God always reminds me of, if I could just say this for a moment. God always reminds me, Jeff, if you trusted me for your eternal soul, if you trusted me to forgive you of all your sin and get you to heaven someday, then what could come into your life that would be greater than that? And so if you can trust me for the greater thing, how comes you can't trust me for lesser things? Because there's nothing that I'm gonna co- that's going to come into my life that's greater than my eternal destiny. And so if I became a Christian... And I said, yes, Lord, I trust you. You're my Savior. I believe you died on the cross. I believe that if I just accept you as my Savior, I'm on my way to heaven. If I have that kind of faith in God that he can preserve me and take me to heaven, then there is nothing that I'm going to be confronted with on this earth that's greater than that. So God says, just keep trusting. And you don't even have to trust me with any more trust than you trusted me when you accepted me as your Savior. And then I love this, verse 33, the very last verse of chapter 15. He's also the God of peace. And Paul says to the Romans, Now may the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. He is the source of peace. You want peace. I want peace. We need to go to the God of peace. The God, the Bible says, that has peace that passes all understanding. It's beyond human comprehension. It can give us peace in the midst of unbelievable storms in our life. And we can still be at peace. How can Because it's supernatural. It is a supernatural gift of peace. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, In the world you're going to have trouble and tribulation, but in me you can have peace. Be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. Peace. God wants his children to have peace in their life. And not go through life with such, oh, anxiety and angst and just on edge all the time about all these things that happen in life. And just to learn to rest in Him. I'm so glad God helped me with that. Because I'll tell you, I was at such a state, I'd probably be dead now of a heart attack if God wouldn't have intervened. And that's how tight I was. I literally, at 25 years of age, spent a whole week in intensive care back in Maryland, where I'm from. 25 years of age. That's how uptight I was. It just goes to show you, too, the devastating effects, and I know it all too well, of stress and anxiety and not resting in the Lord whenever here's the God of peace saying, you don't have to live like that. And I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. But, I'm also very aware that I could go back to that place if I'm not careful. If I don't continue to trust in the Lord and rest in Him and keep growing, I could go back to that place. And I don't ever want to go back to that place again. I want to keep on moving ahead so that not only will my life be better, but so that God can use my life to encourage others with the encouragement that God has given to me. So how do we attain these goals of of building each other up and maintaining unity through the example of Christ, through the scriptures, through the God who is the God of all resources? 
He's the God of endurance and comfort in verse 5. He's the God of hope in verse 13. And He's the God of peace in verse 33. But one more tonight. And then we'll pick it back up in chapter 15 next week. He also works through you and I. As we tap into those God-given resources, God can use us, as we've already talked about, to encourage each other. And Paul reminds the Romans of this. Notice in verse 14 of Romans 15. Paul says, But I myself am fully convinced about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness because God is filling you with His goodness, filled with all knowledge because God is filling you with His knowledge, and that you guys are able to instruct one another. What Paul is really saying is, you guys can live on the level that God wants you to live because if you keep tapping into God's resources... You'll be able to build each other up. And you've got all the resources you need as a Christian to be able to overcome these things and to be able to help each other overcome these things as well. You've got all the resources available to you. You see, no Christian, no, no body of Christians can say, God, you, you didn't give me what I need. If, if you'd have just given me the right tools, if you'd have just given me the resources, we'd have been able to navigate this much better. God says, I've given you everything you need. Just tap into it. I'm the God of all peace. I'm the God of all comfort. I'm the God of all endurance. I'm the God of all hope. Just tap into me. Tap into the scriptures that give us instruction, encouragement, endurance, and hope. It's all there. It's just a matter of using it and tapping into it. And then, verse 30. Here's another resource we can do for each other. Prayer. Prayer. It's so cool to, to go around campus to see prayer groups starting to pop up. I see people all the time who are now meeting either on their way to work or on their way home from work and they're popping into the cafe area or over here and they're getting together in little prayer groups and they're praying together and stuff and I'm hearing about people meeting at this Starbucks and just praying together and, and, and people meeting in this home and praying together. That is so cool. Prayer is effective. And notice what Paul says. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's not through me. Not through my own strength. It's through Jesus and through the love of the Spirit to join fervently with me in prayer to God on my behalf. Paul may be the greatest Christian who ever lived and Paul was always asking Christians to pray for him. And if Paul needed people to pray for him, how much more... Do I feel I need people to pray for me and want people to pray for me? Paul was always asking people to pray for him. He was never above asking people to pray for him because he knew how valuable the prayers of the saints were for him and for his ministry. Notice in verse 31, here's specific requests that Paul gave the church at Rome. Pray that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. There were those who were trying to kill Paul because he was standing up for Christ. And Paul says, pray that they won't kill me. Also, pray that my ministry in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Earlier on in chapter 15, he says, I'm taking up collection for the poor, poor saints in Jerusalem. Pray that that may be acceptable and that the saints of God will, will be receptive to wanting to help each other in a very practical, physical, monetary way. Because maybe they won't. Maybe they won't want to give. Pray so that, verse 32, that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Pray that when I finally get to Rome, you and I may be refreshing to each other. Now may the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. I want to go back to verse 30. 
The words to join fervently is literally in the original language the word that means agony or agonize. It was actually used most of the time for athletic contests in like the Corinthian or Ismithian games, which were precursors to the Olympic games, when people would wrestle each other, struggle with each other in sort of hand-to-hand combat. And Paul is using this language about our prayer life. And that's very descriptive and and very important, I think. Because a lot of times, if we're honest, one of the things that Christians say is, you know the one area that I really struggle with? It's my prayer life. You know why? Because it is a battleground. That's biblical. Paul even says, I realize that for you guys to engage in prayer on my behalf is something that you're going to have to do fervently. It's something you're going to have to fight through. It's not something that's coming naturally or instinctive to any human being. No human being, even a Christian, just instinctively prays. It's something that Satan tries to throw up every roadblock and obstacle in a Christian's life to keep us from doing. Because Satan knows more sometimes about the power of prayer and the effectiveness of prayer than we Christians do. And he will do everything he can to keep us from praying and us from getting together to pray because he knows the power of prayer. And that's why Paul used the language he did. Because many times it literally is a struggle. How many times have you as a Christian started to pray and all of a sudden your thought life and your thoughts just go wacky-do? And you're going, where in the world did that come from? I'm I'm doing something spiritual here and all of a sudden, boom! Boom! Because it's a fight. And we have to recognize it as such. Now, with God's help and God's enablement and God's resources, we can, we can press through and we can fight through, but it's not going to come easy. Those who've learned to pray and to pray fervently and to pray in the Spirit and to pray even beyond two or three minutes at a time, it's a discipline that takes time to do. And it's something that has to be done under the total dependence of the Holy Spirit and the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit because it is a struggle. It is wrestling against the opposition to come to the throne of God and to pray. So don't be discouraged about the struggle that prayer is in your life. Recognize that's biblical. But know that God has given us every resource, including Himself and the Scriptures and other Christians, that can come into our life and aid us in this struggle so that we can keep on praying. And I just want to encourage you, keep on praying. Even if it's just for a few minutes a day, develop that discipline of setting aside some point of the day, whether it's at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, or some... For those of you that pray multiple times a day, God bless you. That's great. But for those of you that even struggle to have a little bit of time every day to pray, set aside a few minutes, just a couple minutes every day and say, God, help me to stay with this prayer time for just a few minutes. Help me to focus my mind on what it needs to be focused on. And help me just to begin the discipline of learning how to just pray. And God will help you. Because He's the God of all endurance. All help, all encouragement, all comfort. And He will help you with those things. All right. I'm going to stop at that point tonight. I'm going to ask if we just have a couple of questions. Do we have the mics available? Anyone have a question or comment before we wrap things up tonight? By the way, thank yes, back here in the back.
By the way, while they're going back there, again, just a reminder, next week we'll finish up Romans 15, move into Romans 16. Won't take us that long. Next week's about how important friendship is. So I hope you'll come back for that. And then, of course, the following week, December the 11th, is our Christmas party. We're going to have a message on Christmas. And then we're going to have plenty of time to fellowship with each other. So I hope you'll come back the next two weeks before we end the semester. All right, question. Okay, um, first, you're awesome. God is doing a mighty work in you, Jeff. I mean, every week we are all leaving here with answers that we had on our hearts. And we come in and God clearly speaks to you and answers so many things for me. So thank you. Um, But I do have someone in my life who is struggling with the instruction. And what I mean by that is we know to look to the Bible. We want to look to the Bible. But sometimes we don't know where (laughs) to begin to find the answers that we're struggling with, with everything that you're talking about tonight, you know, diving into his word and, and then understanding it. You know, knowing what book is going to impact my life to encourage somebody. Is there a Bible for dummies? I mean, (laughs) where I can wake up and say, you know, I don't want a prayer book. I don't want to, my prayer life is good and I I understand how to pray, but how do I find the answers to these, you know, struggles that we go through? And and that's that's my question. No, it's a great question. And there are some resources, I guess, out there book-wise that I could refer you to, but I think the best answer is a Paul. I, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, because when you and I have physically a Christian in our lives who is, is a resource, who's been down the road of walking with Christ a little bit longer, knows a little bit more about the Bible, whatever, it's like, wow, I've got my own personal teacher. And, and this is biblical. I think this is why the Bible encourages us to have a spiritual mentor. Again, whatever you want to call it, a spiritual coach. And if you don't have a Paul in your life, that's how valuable a Paul would be. Because the, the right Paul would be able to direct you to the right book at the right time, the right chapter at the right time, the right verses at the right time. It's just so cool to, to pick up the phone and, and have that relationship with somebody. You can say, hey, I'm struggling with such and such right now. Where in the Bible can I go to read about that or study about that? Well, here it is. So I think the, a Paul in your life is, is the best answer for all of us. I think we all need that Paul. Yeah. So you can be our personal Paul. <laughs> <laughs> can I get your number after class? Yeah. <laughs> I, can I just say that I wish I could be a lot of people's Pauls, you know, but uh, I, I try to obviously limit who I can do that for. But, yeah. You know what, though? I, I tell Christians all the time, if, if you truly want a Paul in your life, and I believe it's God's will that we all have a Paul in our life, you begin to specifically pray for a Paul and then keep your eyes spiritually open for God to bring in that Paul. I believe in time. And you got to, again, we've got to give God time to work because now God's got to begin to work on somebody else's heart on both ends to bring you two together. And so it may take some coordination there, but you keep trusting and believing and God will bring a Paul into your life if you really want him to. I truly believe that. Question down here. Christian table counseling. And if you want to know women, especially for that resource, see Shiki. And you all know who Shiki is. She's up here on Sunday. So thank you, Shiki. All right, why don't we close in prayer? Guys, can I just say, you're an encouragement to me. 
And I, I, I don't want you, I, I really mean that. You've got to understand, for someone in my position to have all of you come out on a Tuesday night to study the Word of God, that's an encouragement. And that's not just an encouragement to me, that's an encouragement to Pastor Lynn and the, the whole staff here to know that you all are coming out on Tuesday night to study the Word of God. And can I just say, I'm just hoping and praying that come the first of the year, and I realize the holidays are coming and we're in the midst of it now, you know, we're not going to continue to grow like we did when we first came into the auditorium. But my hope and my prayer is not for numbers' sake only, but so we have more people in the church who are being built up and growing through Bible studies like this that come the first of the year, that we'll begin with somewhere around 400 in here, and that hopefully through the next semester we'll grow toward five and 600 in here. I mean, that's my goal. Again, not just so we can say, oh, we've got five or 600 people in the mind, so we can say, look, these people are growing, and they're going to then take their growth and what God's encouraging them with, and they're going to enhance the whole ministry here at Cornerstone because we're all going to be at a higher level spiritually, and it's just going to enhance the whole ministry. That's the reason we want. The more people that come to st- stuff like this, it just spills out over the entire church. It, it just helps everything. That's why we want more people to come. So if you know folks that aren't plugged into a Bible study and you know, they're interested in a Bible study, please invite them to come. Even the next couple of weeks, you know, a lot of people are shying away going, well, you know, you're almost through the book of Romans. I don't want to start at the end. Every week can stand on its own. Tell them to come with you. Try it out for a couple of weeks. And then if they like it, then they can start back up January the 8th when we dive into the book of Ephesians. All right. Enough about commercials. It's eight o'clock. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for reminding us uh, just who you are tonight. That, God, we can look to you, the God of all resource, for everything that we need in our life to navigate every event in our life, everything that we go through, whether it's peace we need, whether it's comfort we need, encouragement, stamina, endurance, it doesn't matter. God, you are the God of all resource. And I pray that instead of you being the last resource we go to, that, God, you are the first resource that we go to and that we go to the Scriptures that that along with you, Lord, just provides everything that we need, uh, Lord, in the life in which we live. Thank you, Lord, also for providing Christ this wonderful example. And, And then, Lord, other believers that you bring into our life to encourage us as well. And I pray that it would be every one of our desire here tonight that that not only do we want to be encouraged and need to be encouraged, but Lord, then we want to take the encouragement and the comfort and all of that that you're doing in our life, and we want to pass it on to others as well. Lord, bring people into our life that we can encourage. Bring Timothys into our life and Barnabases into our life. But Lord, also in this group, bring Pauls into these people's lives. That, that they might come into their life and be able to mentor them and, and help them grow and help them navigate and answer questions and all of this. God, all of us need Pauls in our life. And God, bring those Pauls into these people's lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. Thank you. Have a great week. See you back here next Tuesday.